Thanks for listening to our messages from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources and information on connecting people to Jesus for life change, visit us online at southbridgefellowship.com. Um, so we've been going through a new series, we kicked it off last week called Love Stories, as you see, and basically what we're doing is we're going through different parables in the Bible and looking into them, and they, through these parables they are revealing characteristics of God, and we're looking at His relentless pursuit of relationship with us in these parables. Today we're going to look at a parable of the wedding feast. Now, everybody likes a good wedding, right? Who here enjoys celebrating weddings? Okay, a couple of the same people. Awesome. Um, so we all love uh, weddings. We all love, you know, two people declaring the everlasting love for one another, coming together to celebrate. And what I love most about weddings is that every wedding seems to have a wedding story. You know, no matter who you talk to, there's always this highlight of a story from a wedding. Um, I once officiated a wedding, and basically the day, uh, the day that they were getting married, um, they got a phone call the morning after. Of telling them that the whole banquet area where they're holding the reception burned down the night before. Like they had everything set up, ready to go, and yeah, they got a phone call saying, yeah, you can't get in there, the whole building's on fire, everything's like, you just ruined. Crazy, crazy stuff, like the day of the wedding, what's the chances, right? Uh, me and my wife, we've been married for uh, six years now. Six years? Yeah. Just fishing over here, guys. Um, and, and we have several wedding stories. The first one was that the day, the morning of our wedding, my wife's wedding dress was still in two pieces. Um, we actually got the dress altered, and we, we hired somebody, and basically they didn't get it done in time. So the morning of the wedding, her dress was still in two pieces. We didn't know what was going to happen, what she was going to wear, but her, her aunt stepped in and managed to sew the dress together, and we just made it work, okay? The second one was that the day of our wedding, um, my wife was moving out of her, uh, her apartment where she was staying because we were moving in together. Obviously, that's what married couples do. And, um, and basically, she got a call from her roommate saying that the new roommate came early and she's moving in today and so can you come and get all your stuff from your room and move it to your new place the morning of the wedding like come on seriously and thankfully my brother and sister-in-law just stepped in they grabbed all this stuff put it in a truck and so we got home the day after his honeymoon and there's just like a pile of stuff in the middle of the living room uh, finally uh, we had our wedding outdoors. It was like this beautiful farm property that our, our friends let us get married at. Uh, but obviously, we've been outside. You kind of invite some uninvited guests. Uh, one was a grasshopper that snuck its way up into my wife's tool of her wedding dress. And so the whole wedding, it was just like jumping around, just like getting its groove on. And there was apparently a, a black snake that showed up and wanted to watch. So we had to wrangle that thing and throw it out of there. So that's the beautiful thing about having outdoor weddings. But it seems that no matter how much you plan, there's something that can always go wrong at a wedding, right? Um, but yet we still love them anyway. Um, it said that on average, 2.4 million weddings are performed in the U.S. every year. Wedding celebrations have become so important to people that they've been coined with the phrase, the most important day of your life. Everybody wants the perfect wedding. We're now Pinterest in the perfect wedding before we find a partner. And everybody's willing now to spend, spend no expense for the perfect wedding. It's said on average that people spend 
$34,000 on their wedding day. So if you're thinking of getting engaged, heads up. If you just got engaged, good luck. Um, on average, wedding florists cost between $500 to $1,000. The average wedding dress in the U.S. is about $1,100. Um, a professional photographer in North Carolina is about $2,500 to $3,000. Uh, the average cost of a wedding ring is about $5,500. Uh, the wedding venue, the couples spend between $12,000 and $14,000 on average. Now, that might seem insane to some. Like, that's just crazy. But that's the thing. People are now willing to spare no expense. But if you stop talking about average weddings and start talking about royal weddings, that's when the stats get a little more crazy. Now, most of you know I'm originally from England. Represent. Um, and uh, the most recent royal wedding was actually between our two countries, right? And I think you guys love royal weddings just as much as we do, if not more, you know, you crazy Americans. Um, but um, it was between, um, you know, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, or now the Duchess of Essex. And it said that their wedding cost a thousand times more than the average wedding. It's said to cost them around $45 million dollars. Food and drink alone, they spent close to $700,000. $195,000 of that was on champagne alone. The wedding cake cost $70,000. Flowers, $157,000. Invitations and wedding favors, $290,000. The music, they got $430,000. The Ministry of Defense reportedly ordered $129,000 worth of personalized plated, silver-plated trumpets for the event. Personalized, of course. Wedding dress that Megan was wearing was about $430,000. The crazy thing is, is this is what the press said about the event. Yes, in comparison to the average wedding, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's wedding is extremely grand, but in comparison to other royal weddings, it's pretty much low-key crazy. And, and today we're going to be looking at a parable found in the book of Matthew, uh, Matthew 22, and it's the parable of the wedding banquet. Now this parable is going to be talking about a celebration, a wedding banquet, and it is the celebration of all celebrations. It's the party of all parties. No expense has been spared. It's going to be a party that you're not going to want to miss, even compared to the Meghan and Harry's wedding. This one is going to blow that out of the water, so I don't want you to miss this. So I want you to turn to your neighbor, there's going to be a lot of turning to your neighbor, and tell them, don't miss this. And then give them the title of my sermon, which is Save the Dates. You guys are so enthusiastic, it's awesome. Okay, so if you're not there, let's turn to chapter 22 in the book of Matthew, and we're going to read our story. So just to give you some context, so this parable is one of three parables that Jesus told in, in a series. So this is kind of like the finale to a three-movie trilogy. So if this was Lord of the Rings, it would be Lord of the Rings, Return of the Kings, okay? You had Fellowship of the Ring, the Two Towers, now the Return of the King, okay? So, but Jesus, he, Jesus did it with the parable of the two sons, 
the parable of the talents, followed by this parable, which is the parable of the wedding. And I know we haven't got to the other two yet, so we're going out of order. So a Star Wars reference probably would have been better because we're not starting out at the beginning. We're just going to jump right in at the middle. Um, but I felt drawn to this parable. Uh, Pastor Dave was setting up this series, and he said, hey, you want to choose a parable? So I'm like, awesome, yeah, let's do this. So I listed, I got all a list of all the parables, and I'm looking through them, and I chose this one. I'm like, this one's cool, wedding. Like, yeah, I want to, want to speak about this one. Little did I know that scholars have said that this is the most difficult parable to preach. And then I got an email from Pastor Scott telling me, you didn't choose a simple parable. Apparently, it makes scholars' knees weak because it deals with some hard truths. And so I'm like, seriously? All the list of parables, I chose this one. Awesome. Great. I chose the worst parable of all the parables. (laughs) Uh, But... But it's because it deals with hard truths. And so um, it's, I've, kind of been, I've kind of been stressing about it a little bit this week, actually, you know, because I'm like, oh, my gosh, if scholars find it hard, what am I going to do? And, and I got so stressed that this is what I ended up looking like this week. Oh, my gosh. I think this parable aged me, guys. Like, this is how stressed I've been over this. Now, this is actually the Face app. Who's heard of the Face app? It's just become like a crazy, crazy thing everybody's doing. It. Apparently, we're not supposed to do it because Russia's using our photos. And so I may or may not be a Russian magazine model now. I don't, I don't know. Like, could you imagine that? Um, but in all seriousness, this parable is a rough one. It's going to be a little bit of a bumpy ride. We're going to go highs and lows. And so just keep your hands and arms in the vehicle at all times, and we'll get through this. Um, but it's, 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 it, it's difficult because it deals with the big picture. It deals with all the attributes of God and all the attributes of the kingdom. And it paints a whole picture of what that looks like. You see, we, it's dealing with grace and justice, but it's also dealing with punishment and rejection. And, and, and I feel like at times we like to think of God as this like kind, caring, gentle, graceful lamb, which he is. But he's also a bold, strong, just lion. And this is what we get to see in this, in this parable. So before I give any spoilers today, I just wanted to kind of give you guys a heads up where we're going. Um, I'm going to jump into the parable. And since it's called Love Stories, I just thought if we can just all like gather around and we'll, we'll read this story together. So story time, gather around children. So let's begin. It says, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those that had been invited to the banquet, tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent more servants and said, Tell those that have been invited, I've prepared a dinner. My oxen and my fatted cattle have been butchered. Everything is ready. Just come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. The rest seized the servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent an army and destroyed those murderers and burned their cities. But then then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anybody you find. So the servants went out into the streets, gathered all the people they could find, the, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came into see the guest, he noticed a man there that was not wearing wedding clothes. And he asked, how did you get in here without wearing wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. It's awesome, right? Cool. Awesome. Look, I would just uh, pray right now, Lord God, that you'll just use me uh, to speak your word. 
Let our hearts be open to what you have for us today. Help. Have your way. Amen. So just like everything in this parable, just like any other parable, there's a whole deeper meaning than what's happening at the surface. You see, in this parable, it's not just talking about a king and a wedding banquet. It's actually talking, as it describes at the beginning, it's describing what the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, just to clarify, we're not talking about the kingdom of heaven as in just a place we go when we die, but we're actually talking about the kingdom of heaven as an active place here and now. You see, when we accept Jesus and we come into his kingdom, we get to operate out of his kingdom now. We get to, it's basically, the kingdom of heaven is operating under the reigning and ruling of our God. So it's subjecting to that, and us as followers should be operating out of that in this world. So it's not just a place we go when we die, it's a place we should be living our lives according to right now. So let's, let's walk through this. First, some context to this parable. Like I said at the beginning, this is one of a series of three parables. And these parables are basically rebukes to the religious leaders, the Pharisees at the time. You see, Jesus here is teaching in the temple just after his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Everybody's praising him, Hosanna, Hosanna. And basically, the religious rulers are starting to get all their feathers ruffled. They're not liking the the attention that Jesus has. They're not liking his popularity. So they begin to challenge Jesus and challenge his authority authority. And Jesus responds with these three parables. And within this parable, he says, in these parables, he says this verse, he says, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. That's the religious leaders. And he said, and given to another people who will produce fruit. And this is what Jesus talks about at the beginning of this parable. God's chosen nation, Israel, the Jewish people have rejected the message of God. That represents the first group of people where the invitation was given and they refused to come. And so in response, the invitation into the kingdom is now made wide open to everybody. That's why we talked about first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. The Gentiles, that's us. This is good news that now the invitation to the kingdom of heaven is made wide open to all people. But you see, the Jewish people rejected it. That's why it says in the book of John, it says, He came to that which was his own, speaking about the Jewish nation, chosen nation, but they did not receive their own. Yet to all who did receive him, those who believed in his name have the right to become children of God. That means the invitation is made open to every single person in this room today. Everybody is invited. If you're in this room today, you are invited. And we see this through this parable. God is, the king is relentlessly pursuing people to come to the banquet. They've been told that there's a banquet coming, an invitation's been sent, they refuse, another invitation's been sent, and then an invitation was sent to all people. This is a king that is pursuing people to come to the banquet for my son. And understand that this king is God. He is pursuing you today. He is chasing after you. This is an open invitation to God's kingdom. And it's not based on your accomplishments and you're not disqualified because of your failures. God invites you. He wants you to have dinner with him today, to sit at the table with him. So if you don't know God in this place, there's going to be a chance today for you to give your life to him and to step into that kingdom. But I want you to know before you leave this place without a shadow of a doubt that God loves you, that he cares for you, It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what you did. 
As long as you love me. No, it's not a Backstreet Boys song. It's a solid truth that God loves you and he's chasing after you and he's calling you today. He's saying you are invited. Amen? Amen. Now, for those of us that know God and we're in a relationship with him, we're not only invited into the kingdom, we're part of his kingdom, but now we are actually called to invite people. You're not only going to the party, you're now called to invite people to the party. And, and this is a calling of all Jesus-following disciples. If you are a disciple in this place today, you are called to go. Now, you might not be called to go to a foreign mission field. We're actually sending out our students today to go to England. They're going to foreign lands to preach the good news. But that might not be your calling. But nonetheless, you are still called to go. The Great Commission is given by Jesus to go into all the world and preach the good news, preach the gospel, invite others to the party. You see, you don't have to wait for God to speak to you to tell you to go. You don't need the voice of God when you have a verse from God that is telling you to go and preach the good news. And church, we need to grasp this today and understand the reality of this. There was a recent study done a couple years ago by LifeWay Research, and it said, in the next seven years, 55,000 churches in the U.S. will close their doors. Those who attend church on a weekend in the U.S. will drop from 17% to 14%. The study found that only 20% of churches in the U.S. are growing. And get this, only 1% are growing by reaching non-Christians. So the question is today, who are you inviting? You're going to a party, who are you bringing with you? You see, if we're disciples of Jesus Christ, if we've truly experienced the goodness, the grace, the love, the mercy, the forgiveness of our God, how can we live our lives in such a way that we don't invite people to this party? You see, evangelism and ministry is not contained in these walls, but it should be contained in the workplace. It should be contained outside of these walls in the areas of influence that God has called you to. 39 of the 40 miracles that we see take place in the book of Acts actually happens outside of the church walls. That should give us some context to where we should be on mission. Our heart for a, as a church here at Southbridge is not to gather people and inspire you guys just on a Sunday, but our heart is to equip and empower people in their purpose. For each and every one of us here today to own our own impact for the kingdom of God in our circle of influences. You see, I see a city on a hill, not contained in a building, but contained in each and every one of us when we leave this place and actually live our life on mission. That is the city of a hill that I see, that we're not waiting people to come to a church, but we're actually being the church and living our life on mission outside of these walls. And I believe that there's some of you in here today that God is calling you to live more on mission for him. I believe there's some of you that God is calling you to start ministries, to get involved in ministries, to start organizations that are leading people to God, to do your mission, your business in a Christian manner that's bringing glory to God. Heck, I believe there's some of you in here today that God is calling you to start a church. And I want to say that us here at Southbridge want to equip and empower you to do those things. We want each and every one of us in this place to own the impact that God has called you to. And then I believe there's some of you in this place that you're exactly where you should be, but God is just calling you to a greater purpose in that place. So I want to tell you about a friend that I met recently. Um, his name is Dusty the Deer Man. Funny name, right? 
Um, recently, my wife and I went, we went camping, um, and we uh, went up to Sugar Mountain, and we went to uh, the land of Oz. Has anybody ever heard of the land of Oz? Okay, awesome, cool. Film, yeah. So basically, it's a theme park that's uh, themed around the Wizard of Oz, and it was like a late 70s, early 80s, something like that, and it got closed down, but now they open it up every once in a while, and anyway, we went to see that, and that's not the point of the story. Point of the story is there was a, the only way up to the top of the mountain was to take a shuttle bus. And so, and obviously on the way down, we took a shuttle bus. And on the way down, uh, this is where we met Dusty, the deer man. He was our bus driver from the top of Sugar Mountain back to our car. And I think we, we have a picture of Dusty, Dusty the deer man. This is Dusty the deer man. I took his picture. I asked him first. He, he didn't find it weird. It's cool. Um, but anyway, I love this guy. So we got on, we got on the bus, and he's just kind of like making friends with everybody, just super cool talking guy. Like he, he knew everything. Like he's taking us down the town and he's like telling us all this history. Like he knew everything. And then he's telling us, oh, you got to stop by this pizza joint. The brothers there, oh, they've been running this business since blah, blah, blah. Like Dusty just seemed to know everybody. And, and as, we, as we're going down, he's like, can I, can I tell you guys some, some jokes to keep you entertained? And we're like, yeah, sure, Dusty, like, go ahead. And so he's like, okay. He's like, there were three pastors and they're on the way to heaven and getting checked in at the pearly gates by St. Peter. I'm like, oh boy, where is this going to go? Like, what did, we, what did we open ourselves up to? And, and then he said, um, as they're getting checked in, St. Peter gets a phone call, and a VIP is on their way to heaven. And so he said, guys, gentlemen, you're going to have to wait. We've got a VIP coming in. i got to check him in first. They're like, okay, and the pastors start talking among themselves, like, man, I wonder who this VIP is. Like, he must be like a great evangelist or this, this well-known celebrity preacher, or oh, he must be like a missionary that has like gone to like the darkest places. And they're talking, and then all of a sudden, you know, St. Peter comes up with this guy and check him into heaven, and he goes in, and, and the pastors are like, I don't, I don't recognize that guy. Do you recognize? No, I've never, I've never, never seen him before. So they, they get curious and they go to St. Peter like, hey, St. Peter, like, who's this guy that you checked in? None of us recognize him. And St. Peter's like, oh, he's like, that guy, that guy's Dusty the Deer Man. He drives the bus on Sugar Mountain. And the pastor's like, whoa, hold up. Like, I've lived my whole life as a pastor. I, I've, I've given my life to the gospel and preaching of the word. And, and this bus driver gets to go into heaven as a VIP? St. Peter's like, guys, calm down, calm down. If only you knew how many lives had called on the name of Jesus because of Dusty the Diamonds driving on Sugar Mountain. <laughs> and it was, it was kind of a lame joke, but this is what I love, is, is right after he says this, he says, look guys, I don't want to scare you to Jesus. I'd just rather talk to you about him. And he went on the rest of the drive to just give stories and many sermons of what God has done in his life and, and how God had moved. And, and I was just so moved by him. It's crazy. Uh, somebody in first service came up to me and was like, I know Dusty the Deer Man. He's my, he's my driver up at App State. I'm like, man, this guy. But I love it. Dusty the Deer Man is a bus driver. is using the platform that he's been given to lead people to God. I don't think his name should be Dusty the Deer Man. I think it should be Dusty the Disciple. He's been invited to the party. God had changed his life. And now he's inviting everybody he can to come join him to this party. That's, that's why I was so inspired by this guy. That's the heart that I want for my own life. That's the heart that I want for us as a church to have on our own life. 
to own the impact in the areas of influence that we have for the kingdom. We're going to a party. Who are you inviting? You see, our heart is for raising people up and sending them out, not gathering and counting people. You see, this place right here, this is our training ground, but our real mission is out there. There's a world that is hurt and broken, and it's waiting for somebody to show them genuine love, and that someone is you. Our job as pastors, it says in Ephesians 4, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. This is equipping. The ministry takes place outside of these walls. You see, ministry takes place off this platform. It takes place in your home, in the workspace, in in restaurants, in the gym you go to, the shops you shop at. Ministry takes place outside of these walls. We need to live on mission. And you see, it's not just good enough to say you'll turn up to the party. You have to actually live your life in such a way that displays it. We need to actually show up for the party, not just say we're going to show up. You see, you're given... We're given an invite, but we must respond to it. And this is where the first group of people missed out. It says, his servants, he sent his servants to those, this is in verse 3, to those who had been, the amplified version said, that who have been previously invited. They've already been invited. Tell them to come. He sent his servants to those that have been invited to the banquet. Tell them to come, but they refused to come. So they, they'd already been invited. They got given like a save the date. They said, oh, yeah, cool, it sounds awesome, I'll take that, I'll be there. But when the actual time came to show up, they refused. And then he said, then he sent more servants and said to them, this is crazy, the king's almost trying to convince them. Tell those that have been invited, I've prepared my dinner. The oxen, the best calf, I've got all the greatest stuff, I've prepared it all, it's ready. All you need to do is come, just show up. You don't need to bring anything, just show up, the party's ready. Now, some context here. When Jesus was speaking this parable, the audience at the time would have known how scandalous and how foolish it would be to deny a king's invite. If, if you denied a king's invite at that time, it would have been pretty much treason against the king. You don't, you don't turn down a king's invitation to his party. Like any other king would have just wiped them out there and then. And what I love about this is that after they refuse, the king comes back, and again, he's trying to convince them, I've got everything. And to me, this just displays the goodness, the grace, the mercy of our God. That even after we've refused him, he comes again. We've refused him, he comes again. He's, 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 he's pursuing us. And, and so then what happens is that the, the, the servants then get mistreated, they get insulted, They even get killed. Now, this behavior would have obviously just been illegal, but understand that if you're doing this to a king's servant, the king's servant at the time had a higher status in society than most free people. So the king's servants here, the king's messengers, are actually representing the king himself. So for you to mistreat and to kill a king's servant, you're declaring war against the king. And again, this is in reference to the religious leaders that Jesus was speaking to. They were invited, but they got busy with their religions and their rituals and and their pride got in the way for seeing who God was and what he was calling them to. They had more important things to do. They rejected God's prophets. One of them was John the Baptist, which they rejected and killed. And soon they were to reject Jesus Christ and kill him also. And so then it moves on and it says, the king was enraged and he sent his soldiers and destroyed those murderers and burned their cities. This is where it starts to get a little hard because this part here is a prophecy 
that actually came to pass after Jesus said these words about 40 years later when the Roman Empire moved in and destroyed Jerusalem, burning down the temple never to be rebuilt again. But not only was it a prophecy for then, it's also a prophecy leading to the end times, meaning that there will come a day where God's wrath will be poured out on the earth and utter destruction will take place and only those that have accepted the invite will be a part of the saved ones. And so this is the hard truth, that when that time comes, either we die or when Jesus comes back, you're either going to be with God or you're going to be against God. Now understand, this is not because the guests couldn't come to the party, but they chose not to come. They refused the invite. The king wanted them at the party. He invited them. He did everything. All they had to do was show up. He pursued them. He came after them. He sent messengers. And today I'm sent as a messenger to tell you all that you're invited to this party. The king is pursuing them. He's pursuing you. And time and time again, God is chasing after you. But will you turn to him today? Will you accept the invite today? Will you show up for the party today? And understand it's not just good enough to say you're a Christian. There may be some of us in this room today that if we really look at our lives, we we got the RSVP. We said, oh yeah, it sounds awesome. I want to go to heaven. But then when we really look at our lives, we come down to it that we're not really showing up for Christ. We're not living our lives for Christ. You see, an RSVP is not good enough. You actually have to show up. When the rubber meets the road, are you showing up with Christ or are you more concerned with yourself? Again, Jesus said in those three parables, he said, the kingdom, of God, uh, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people who will produce fruit of it. Are we living our life in a way that produces fruit today? Everybody wants to go to heaven, but we actually have to live our life in such a way where while we're here on earth, we live in that kingdom and produce fruit from it. Will we live our lives in such a way where we say, God, here's my plans, have your way. God, this is what I want to do, this is what I have planned, but I lay that down at your feet and say, have your way. God, wreck my plans if it's not what you have for me. I want to do your will. Or will we be too busy like the other people in the parable and going off and doing our own business? Because the hard truth is, if we don't show up for Christ, On the day of judgment, he won't show up for you. Matthew 7 talks about it. It says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Every Christian knows John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, but do we know Revelation 3.16? So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Matthew 10, 33, whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. I know this is rough. I know we don't like this message, and this is why it's one of the harder parables to preach, because we like to think of God as a God with no enemies. We like to think of God as this happy-go-lucky guy. He's just this kind of old dude with a beard that's just super nice to everybody, welcomes everybody in. Like, you don't have to, you don't have to do anything. You know, just throw me up a prayer once in a while, and I'll be happy. Like this old guy just tending to his garden. He's a little crazy, and that's how we like to think of God. But God is a God that means business. Galatians says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man soweth, so shall he reap. If we reject a relationship with God, we are in turn waging war against him. And this is why this parable is so hard. We don't like the idea of God rejecting us. 
we like to just think, if I'm a good person, I'll go to heaven. But we actually need to turn to Christ and live our life for him. We need a fire inside of us that makes us live our mission for God. Now, understand it's not about works. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not about works. Come on, guys, say it again. Come on. Come on, I believe in you. I know this is rough. Stay with me. But it's all about what Jesus did. Our works, our good deeds can never bring us into a relationship with God. You see, it's our, our, our good deeds come out of a relationship with God. They cannot replace a relationship with God. Does that make sense? Our good deeds do nothing to get us into a relationship. It's all through what Jesus Christ did on that cross that we get to enter into relationship with him. But then when we're in relationship with him, naturally good work should come out of that. Amen? And this means that there's an invitation into heaven. It's wide open. Anybody can come, but you still must enter through the gate. And that gate is Jesus Christ. Meaning that we cannot have God on our own terms, but we must meet God on his terms. And this, this is the good news and the bad news. Stay with me, okay? The bad news is, we're getting to the good part, okay? Hang on. The bad news is we're all terrible people. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Each and every one of us. Look, look around you. Look, 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 look to your left, look to your right. Each and every person in this room is a terrible person. Turn to your neighbor and tell them they're terrible. <laughs> we're all terrible people. And I know that, that it's hard to believe at times. I mean, there's some people that I'm like, I, I, I think if they've sinned, they've only probably sinned one time. Like, is that so good? But that's why we can't come to God on our own terms. Because we are terrible people and we've fallen short of God's standard. But this is the good news. No, this is the incredible, unfathomable news. It's that God loves you anyway. That even though we deserve punishment, even though we deserve hell, even though we deserve separation from all that is good, that all that is God, that there is an invitation into the kingdom through Jesus Christ. God pursues you. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He cares for you. He's provided everything you need. You just need to turn to Christ. But that's the most important factor. You need to turn to Christ. Jesus is the gate in which we enter heaven and we cannot do it without him. We see that in this parable. Verse 10 says, So the servants went out to the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. If you're bad in this place today, it's good news. You're invited. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there that was not wearing wedding clothes. No, the wedding clothes were provided for him. He knew what he was doing. He asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? That's why the man was speechless. He had no excuse. He'd been provided everything. Then the king told the attendants, time hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping on gnashing of teeth. That separation from all that is good, that all that is God. For many are invited, but few are chosen. You see, we see a guy turn up to the party and he gets thrown out for not wearing the, white or the right wedding clothes. Understand that what this man did here was just downright offensive. Turning up to a wedding banquet and not putting on the clothes that were provided for you would be like turning up to somebody's funeral in flip-flops in your swim shorts. You just don't do it. The man knew what he was doing. He wanted to come to God on his own terms. You see, it's an open invitation 
to the party, but there's a dress code. Everybody's welcome to come, but when, it come, when you come, it changes you. If we're not changed, if we accept the wedding invite into heaven, but we're not willing to allow the provision of God to change us, we're actually just wedding crashes. We don't deserve to be at the party. Wear the wedding attire. Now, what does that mean? It means that when we come to Christ, we must walk with him. It's not just good enough to say, yeah, I want to go to heaven, I'll accept Jesus, then I'll just go do whatever I want to do. It means that we, allow, we walk with him and allow him to change us, allow him to clothe us with his righteousness, that we put on compassionate hearts, that we put on kindness, humility, forgiveness. That it means that we have to walk according to God's ways, not our own. You see, Jesus here is teaching about the inadequacy of self-righteousness. We can't do it on our own. God is having to cover us. We, see, we talked about it last week. From the very beginning, God was covering Adam and Eve, and still today he's having to cover us because we're all terrible people. But he's provided that covering for you. You come as you are, but you can't stay that way. You must put on the garments that God gave you. Turn to your neighbor and say, put on the garments. Oh, you guys are great. Um, We all need robes of righteousness which Christ provides. And often we miss this. If we're not careful, we can easily convince ourselves that we're good people. I was talking to a friend recently, and we was having this conversation. He's not, he's not a Christian, but he, he kind of likes to believe that there's a God and that there's a heaven, like we all do, right? And so I was asking him, like, so who do you think goes to heaven? He was like, oh, good people. So, okay, cool, good answer. Oh, that's, that's fine, okay. So I prodded him a little further. I was like, who's good? And he's like, oh, I don't know. You know, like people like me, you know, like I've done some bad things and I've made some mistakes, but really I'm not a bad person. You know, it's not like I've gone out and blatantly killed somebody. One, I love that a good definition has come to I haven't killed anybody. Um, but two, the fact that I think we all do this on some level. I'm not a bad person. I, I mean, I was raised in church. I was a good kid. I got good grades. I went to college. I got a job. I'm taking care of my family. I'm a good person. What do I need saving from? You keep talking about saving and, and God's going to save us and he's pursuing. What do I need saving from? And we need, to, we need not to forget that we're actually a mess of a people that need a Messiah. We're actually sinners that need saving, but it's too easy for us to compare our goodness in a dark world and convince ourselves that we're doing good. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to black out this whole room, so stay in your seats, don't move around. It's going to get dark. We're going to turn the lights all the way down. So this is the world that we live in. We're in a dark world, and yet all of a sudden, my good deeds, I, I feel like I'm pretty bright in this world. I mean, like, compared to the darkness over there, I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I know I've made some mistakes. I know I've done this, but compared to that darkness, like right over there, I'm pretty good. And this is how it's so easy to convince ourselves that we're good in a dark world. But here's the thing, is if we took our standard of what is good and put it next to God's standard of perfection, this is what it'd look like. You see, my light is not very bright anymore. My goodness, in comparison to God's goodness, pales. 
And that's why we're terrible people. That's why when Moses said, God, show me your glory, he said, he said in the very, to Moses, he said, but he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And so he had to put Moses in a rock, put his hand over the rock, move past him, and he just saw a glimpse of God, and his whole appearance changed. He glowed with the glory of God because we cannot stand in God's presence as we are. We need to be clothed with his righteousness. And this is the incredible news of the gospel is that you're not good enough, but Christ is. It doesn't matter if you're good or if you're bad. It doesn't matter the mistakes that you've made, the failures. Man, it doesn't even matter if you have killed somebody in this place. And, and that's scandalous to us to think of such things, but God can forgive you even of that. You see, it's not good people that go to heaven. It's forgiven people. It doesn't matter what you've done, the lies you've told, the hurt you've caused, the mistakes you've made, your failures, your shortcomings. Christ covers us, and that's a reason for us to celebrate. Amen? Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's time to celebrate. I want to I invite the band to come up. Guys, don't, don't miss this party. You want to be at this party. You're invited but you have to respond. It says at the very end, it says, many are invited, but few are chosen. The chosen are those that actually respond to the invite. Will you respond today? See how this party, you get to experience the fullness of our God. His everlasting love for you. You get to know what true hope looks like, what joy looks like, what peace looks like, what forgiveness feels like. You get to feel the weight of condemnation and guilt lifted from you because it's no longer about what I can do, but it's all about what Christ can do. And that's a party you want to be at. Can I ask you guys to stand with me as we wrap this up? <clears throat> Sometimes when I'm worshiping God, I, I cannot just be helped but move to tears. Just knowing how much I've messed up, for how many times I've failed, and then knowing that the God of all creation loves me anyway. Like, I know who I am. I know the deepest and darkest corners of my life. And knowing that God loves me anyway, and he's provided all that I need to come to him, that just literally just, like, blows me away. My mind just cannot wrap my, hand, my head around that, that love. And I'm reminded that he first loved us. He chased after us. He's chasing after you today. And I'm reminded that I must never forsake my first love. You see, I want to realize and constantly realize what God has done for me and for us. And I want to come into a deeper relationship with him. You see, I want to study the gospel not like a student studying for an exam. But I want to study the gospel like a painter studies a masterpiece. I want to study the gospel like I'd study the stars and the moon on a dark, clear night. I want to study the gospel like I study my wife's face when I tell her that I love her. We need to fall in love with God again. Knowing his love and what he's done for us will create a fire inside of us to live on mission for him. Because once you're in love, you want the whole world to know. And so I want you to know today, God loves you. He's chasing after you. And that's good news. That right now, the God of creation is pursuing a relationship with you.